It's the last Thursday in Pride Month. And we're talking about Some Like It Hot, which is maybe the best comedy of all time. We'll get into that debate when we start. Stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. I love this trailer so much. Because there's not a lot of exposition, which I'm so used to from modern day trailers right. of like, this summer, biggest thing ever. Yeah. Not since the Marx Brothers, so much <laughs> comedy. Not since the seven year itch, so much Maryland. <laughs> the best picture this year will also be the funniest. Scenes. Good night, sugar. Good night, honey. <laughs> There's one thing sure boy never met girl like this before. You've never laughed more at sex. Or a picture about it. You stay here as long as you like. <laughs> Jack may have beaten Tony to the sugar, but not for long. You're not giving yourself a chance. Don't fight it. Relax. <laughs> and her bosom companions. Marilyn sing the fabulous songs of the Roaring Twenties on the United Artists soundtrack album. Running wild, lost control, running wild, mighty bold, feeling gay, reckless too, carefree mind all the time, never blue, always going, don't know where, always showing, <laughs> I don't care, don't love nobody. It's not worthwhile All alone Running wild Oh my god So I good love performances What's up here? Welcome to the Knife Hour. I had to start with that trailer because I think it sets uh, the perfect tone. If you haven't seen Some Like It Hot, if you don't know uh, what the greatness of this movie is about, I feel like that's maybe a really great introduction. We are, of course, welcoming back Peter Rayner, film extraordinaire, uh, film critic, uh, to talk to us about this film and, and break down some of the history for us. How are you doing today, Peter? Great. How are you doing, guys? Good. I'm really good. Let's just, I feel like... I want to start with Jack Lemmon and Tony Curtis yeah. because uh, the dynamic duo, so great. What was this film like for them getting, or I guess, where were their careers at before joining this picture? Well, Tony Curtis uh, had started out as a sort of uh, archetypal pretty boy in the movies. He was in a lot of not very good movies, but he was there because of you know how he looked. Uh, it is not true that in this film that he did with Piper Laurie set in uh, Arabia that he utters the line, Yanda is the castle of my father. Uh, <laughs> but he had a thick uh, Bronx accent. He mm. was, was Bernie Schwartz was his real name. Uh, Bernie Schwartz. Wow. And, uh, uh, but he had, um, he had at this point become a real actor in films like uh, A Sweet Smell of Success 
with uh, Burt Lancaster and uh, Trapeze, also with Lancaster that the great Carol Reed directed, um, and the Defiant Ones that he was uh, nominated for an Oscar for that film with Sidney Poitier. So when he made Some Like It Hot, he was uh, not only just there for his looks, but because he had given some rather startlingly good performances, given that everyone thought he was a kind of, you know, no talent for a long time leading up to that. Mm -hmm. Jack Lemmon uh, had, you know, been very uh, acclaimed for films like Mr. Roberts, and he he also was um, on his way to uh, being a very versatile and, and uh, extraordinary actor, both in drama and comedy. So they had a career that was both of them uh, well on its way by the time they made this film in 1959. Uh, now, Marilyn Monroe, do you want to talk about that too? Yeah, or, sure. I mean, I mean, she had, uh, you know, sort of a... Very hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Very celebrated career. She started out in... Uh, you know, bit roles in movies where she was recognized in films like The Asphalt Jungle and All About Eve, and then she kind of graduated to more featured roles as, you know, dumb blondes mm -hmm. uh, in a lot of films. But she was uh, uh, given a lot of good reviews for films like Bus Stop, uh, based on a famous Inge play that Josh Logan directed and so forth, and she had uh, appeared in... Um, uh, a film with Laurence Olivier, no less, that Olivier directed, The Prince and the Showgirl. Uh, she... Oh, that's the movie that uh, they made a, a movie about recently with... Uh, um... yeah, right, right. Well, I can't remember the girl who played her name, but yeah. Yeah, it was... Uh, Eddie Redmayne was... A, a, yeah, um, uh, About the My Week with Marilyn, movie. yes. Yeah, so, um, uh, you know, they, they... But by the time she did Some Like It Hot... Uh, she had a reputation for being, you know, very difficult on the set, very hard to work with, never remembered her lines. Uh, she had been through a, a, a celebrated a brief marriage to Joe DiMaggio, mm -hmm. and she was married to uh, Arthur Miller. Mm -hmm. uh, she had moved back east and had studied in this, with Strasbourg, and uh, a lot of the method people were... were uh, according to Billy Wilder, sort of interfering with his direction of her on the set of Some Like It Hot. So it was a, a great big mess. When, when she married Arthur Miller, by the way, there was a classic um, uh, headline in Variety saying, Egg, Egghead, wear, Egghead Weds Hourglass. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, so, so they were all very much, um, I think, at or near the height of their careers, certainly as far as the men go, in terms of performance by the time this film came out. I really enjoyed the musical numbers. Does she always sing in her films? I mean, I'm not, I haven't seen very many Marilyn Monroe films. She's in a lot of them. She yeah, I mean, she sang in Bus Stop. She, okay. she sang in, uh, uh, you know, How to Marry a Millionaire. Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. Right, okay, exactly. So yeah. You know, with Jane Russell. So okay. she, yeah. I mean, she didn't have the world's greatest voice, but like everything else about Monroe, there was something 
you know, undefinable about her that was that was better than than uh, actors who who were more skilled, who had right. better voices and everything else. She just had that X factor. Why don't we pull up that Monroe clip of her dancing? Because uh, I think the train scene for a lot of people is incredibly memorable. It's uh, I mean, we see we have the gaggle of girls scene in a ton of movies, but there's something about um, women who aren't so polite in the 50s, in a black and white movie, doing it. That's kind of rare. And then, of course, Marilyn is just showing herself out here. That walk, though. Running wild. <laughs> she drops the flask. <laughs> I thought I made it perfectly clear that I don't want any drinking in this outfit. All right, girls, who does this belong to? Come on now, speak up. Sugar, I warned you. Please, Mr. Beanstalk. This is the last straw. In Kansas City, you were smuggling liquor in a shampoo bottle. Before that, I caught you with a pint in your Excuse ukulele. Me. Mr. Beanstalk, could I have my flask, please? Sure. Pack your things. The next station, we come... Your flask? Yes, just a little bourbon. Must have uh, slipped through. <laughs> Give me. Didn't you girls say you went to a conservatory? Oh, yes, for a, a whole year. I thought you said three years. We got time off. They're good behavior. <laughs> there are two things that I will not put up with during working hours. One is liquor, and the other one is men. Men? Oh, you don't have to worry about that. We wouldn't be caught dead with men. Rough, hairy beasts. Uh. Eight hands. <laughs> and they, they all just want one thing from a girl. I beg your pardon. His eyes. All right, girls. From the top of so good. Like, yeah, no, what I like about Jack and Tony is, uh, I guess, they were saying that Jack picked his kind of characterization of a woman first, and he went with the big, kind of very silly girl. Um, and then Tony was like, well, I'll play the opposite. I'll play the very reserved, refined, um, thinking of the correct words, uh, um, maybe more put together woman. Uh, Softer, yeah. maybe? Yes, nice. Very good. <laughs> well, they both sort of wanted to play it out there, but, but since... Jack Lemmon was so adamant about doing that, and he was so good at it that uh, I think you know Tony Curtis and Billy Wilder felt that you can't have two people who are acting yeah. the way Jack Lemmon is in this hey. film. So, so Tony Curtis went in the completely other direction. You know, it was a sort of lady of quality, and uh, you know, a grand dame, and someone who uh, wasn't at all ditzy the way Jack Lemmon was. It should be pointed out that. Um, Jack Lemmon went to Harvard, and, and there's a club called the Hasty Pudding Club in, yes. in Harvard that's, that's basically all men in drag doing, doing shows. And he was the president of the Hasty Pudding Club. And I, I've seen a few of their productions. They're very funny, and, 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 but the roles are all, all the women's roles are played by men. Um, so this wasn't a total stretch for Jack Lemmon, <laughs> given the fact that you know, he had been the president of that club and had acted in all these productions, uh, you know, when he was in college. Uh, he just, 
what I like about his performance, one of the many things I like about his performance in this film is that he he really seems to totally get into the idea of, of being a woman while also standing apart from it somehow. You know what I mean? I mean, there's a... He a, never gives up his privilege as a man in becoming a woman. Like, yeah. he, he expects the same um, reactions, where I think Tony plays uh, more into the... Like, he understands how women are going to be treated and kind of reacts accordingly, whereas, he, yeah. you know, Jack's character is very in-your-face. Well, whenever right. Jack is with... Marilyn, it's it's clear that he's a man because he's constantly trying to somehow not you know get all over her. But but <laughs> but when like, he's I'm with, a boy, in the scenes, in the scenes with Joey Brown, though, um, uh, you know Osgood, the, the the millionaire who's who's fixated on her, um, it's different. I mean, he's he's he sort of is getting into the idea being a woman who doesn't want to be hit hit on by this guy, and it, it's it's very complicated. Yeah, uh, the Catholic Church had a um, a moral. Ob- uh, they were saying, ah, "Crud, I can't remember the words." Hold on, moral objection, morally objectionable is the title they gave the film. Um, so oh, the it, Hayes Office. Yeah, yeah. No, this is from the Roman Catholic Church. Oh, they, the Legion of Decency. Yes, yeah. yes. That um, they said <laughs> it was. They didn't outright ban it, which definitely could have been uh, a thing that happened. I know Ohio banned it, and in Memphis it was raised adults only. And then, in as you Kansas just, too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, as you just <laughs> mentioned, the Hayes Code kind of breaks because of this movie. Can you first explain what the Hayes Code is? Well, the Hayes Code was started uh, in I think 1930 as a a way for the industry to police itself. There was a guy, Will Hayes, who was the the head of the. Uh, uh, production office at the time and so it was you know like Obamacare the Hayes Code but it was um, it was a way of having the industry police itself as opposed to the government stepping in so it was one of these sort of lesser of two evil things okay. where they thought that um, you know but they had a whole list of things that they weren't crazy about uh, including you know adultery murder uh, disrespect for the law miscegenation for a long time uh, you know, a lot of things that were really, um, you know, and then the Legion of Decency was, was you know, a Catholic organization that sort of piggybacked on the Hayes Code people. Uh, and between the two of them, it was very hard to do anything in the movies that was at all, you know... Uh, the Hayes Code had rules like you couldn't say like virgin and like baby or, or mother in the same sentence. That no, was ridiculous. Like that. You, could, yeah. you could pregnant, you know. I mean, you could, <laughs> there were a lot of words you, words you couldn't say. You had to sleep in separate beds if you were married. Um, mm. Now, having said that, uh, so so United Artists, which which you know made something like it hot, they they just um, they released a film without uh, a, a production code. Uh, imprimatur the legion of decency you know the 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 joke was always that it was a a the industry was predominantly owned by jews kowtowing to a roman catholic uh uh list of demands for an audience of protestant americans (laughs) so you know it was it was complicated um but I do want to say that as much as I decry censorship and think that, that 98% of these strictures were, um, were ridiculous, uh, particularly if you look at the pre-code movies from before the 30s where you had you know, nudity, adultery, all sorts of things, you know, the law doesn't always win out, those are very interesting movies because yeah. they were doing a lot of things that they, they were sort of prohibited or self-censored from doing later on. 
But um, Casablanca, for instance, uh, the ending of Casablanca is one of the great endings. If Bogart was was prohibited from going off with uh, Ingrid Bergman, that would have been adultery. And yet, it because he doesn't do that, it's it's a very memorable ending. What I, you know? This is the, shocking. In the uh, the famous kissing scene in Alfred Hitchcock's Notorious, Cary Grant and Ingrid Bergman, if, if you recall that, it's a really sexy, great scene. He keeps she's pursuing him, and but they don't kiss for more than about five seconds at a time because that was kind of the rule. You couldn't hold a kiss for more than like three seconds in the movies. Oh, wow. So they got around it by having you know like uh, three seconds. All right, then three seconds, and three seconds. Wow. You know. Uh, uh, The Postman Always Rings Twice with John Garfield and Lana Turner is a really sexy movie. I think more more so than the much more flagrantly um, uh, sexual version that came out with uh, Jack Nicholson and Jessica Lange. Again, I think censorship sort of... But but in general, these were ridiculous rules that uh, by the time Some Like It Hot came out, they just said, well, you know... Because one of the things that worked against the Hayes office, the rise of television... Uh, you needed reasons for, to get people into the movie theaters, right? And the TV, the rules on TV were even weirder and stricter than in the movies. Mm. So, so they had to do something to get people back into the theaters. Also, there was a Supreme Court ruling about, uh, I won't get into it, but foreign films were much more uh, prevalent in, in the movies in, in the 50s oh. and 60s in the theaters than they were before that. And, th- and those films were under no uh, obligation to do anything to, to, to toe the line for any wow. production code. So did Hayes Code then become the modern-day movie ratings? or Well, sort it... of. I mean, the rating system kind of supplanted the Hayes Code, okay. as again, as a way to keep the government out of censoring Hollywood movies, ah. you know, get, get, you know, you didn't want the states to say, uh, each state would have their own rule. It was, it was very complicated, but, but in, 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 you know, in 68, 69, when the rating system kicked in, that sort of supplanted the Hayes code. But even then you had a lot of issues. There were things okay. you couldn't say in, in who's afraid of Virginia Wolf, mm-hmm. which was one of the first ratings films to, to, to come, to come along. Uh, you couldn't say screw. Uh, they had to replace that in Edward Olvey's play. But you could say Hump the Hostess for some reason. That's in the movie. This is crazy. <laughs> and so Some Like It Hot is breaking all kinds of taboos, including like um, I read some of the complaints against the movie. And it's like it, it promotes gayness and transvestitism, I think is what they were calling it at the time. Um, and we they employed a groundbreaker, Barbette, um, who was born as Vander Clyde. It was a female impersonator who coached Jack and Tony um, throughout. Uh, Babette winds up being a, a aerialist trainer at Ringling Brothers, Barnum and Bailey. Um, and some consider him the inspiration for Victor and Victoria. How... Like, it's just crazy to me that someone like Barbet could be hired by the Hollywood studio system at this time and, and did more than just this film. Um, you said maybe Tony didn't need it, but I feel like the what Curtis was able to come out of was directly influenced by what Barbet was doing and that same kind of... Um, uh, the the walks are similar if you watch videos of, like, Barbet and stuff. Yep. Um, so I'm curious, uh, what kind of impact overall did Barbet have in the industry or, I guess, maybe even more specifically on Some Like It Hot? You know, I don't know that much about the history of, of, of him, but I, I know that, that the fact that he was hired 
to, you know, was on the payroll, the, 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 the movie company payroll to do this, uh, was just sort of an explicit version of what was often the case in Hollywood anyway. You know, the fact that there was so much, um, uh, so much was prohibitive in, in Hollywood movies in regards to, to, to gay themes, and yet so many of the people who worked on the films, who, who did everything on these films, you know, was, was, was gay. Was, uh, Ori Kelly designed the dresses for yes. this movie, who was a famous, you know, costume designer and, and, and was in demand by all the, all the, uh, the, the major um, uh, players. Uh, Jack Lemmon said, I don't want to just have hand-me-down clothing <laughs> off the rack, which was what the initial idea was. He says, mm-hmm. no, you know, Marilyn Monroe's getting dressed by uh, Ori Kelly and everybody's got, you know, that we want to say, you know, right. we're women, you know. So, so we they got, so Ori Kelly Billy Wilder agreed. Uh, Marilyn, if you want to pull that one up. Um, and why wouldn't they? They look amazing. And they, they, I think that gave them more of a feminine air than perhaps... Uh, just something off the rack would have, and and their makeup kind yeah. of played into that too. Because yeah, absolutely. They were experimenting a lot with how much they were putting on and how that was going to work. Right. I mean, this was actually part of the acting process, and and uh, not so much for the method, but actors like Olivier and others always felt that that to get into character, costume is extremely important. You know, you 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 become your character sure. through the clothing that you wear, and so what better opportunity to do that than in this movie with these guys you know i mean they want to they want to wear the clothes that that really puts them totally into the idea of being you know feminine being being women uh not just some hand-me-down off the rack stuff to 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 pay lip service to the fact that they're female female impersonators in this film i mean one one of the wonderful things about lemon's performance is that he really does get into the idea of being a being a woman um (laughs) i mean he's he's sort of has has convinced himself in some way that this is who he is. Yeah. Let's take a yeah. look at... This is their first transformation when you see them on screen. <laughs> These blocks kill me. Florida Limited leaving on track one for one... You can see how they are decided on the type of woman they want to be even in this show. Yeah, absolutely. Silly girl with the floppy hat, leopard print, close to all black and white with her collar. Very classy. What's the matter now? How do they walk in these things? Huh? <laughs> How do they keep their balance? It must be the way the weight is distributed. Now, come on. <laughs> it is so drafty. They must be catching cold all the time. <laughs> Will you quit stalling? We're going to miss the train. I feel naked. I feel like everybody's staring at me. With those legs, are you crazy? Now, come on. <laughs> It's no use. We're not going to get away with it, Joe. My name is Josephine, and this was your idea in the first place. on springs. <laughs> Must have some sort of built-in motor or something. I, I tell you, it's a whole different sex. 
What are you afraid of? Nobody's asking you to have a baby. Uh. Get us out of town. Once we get the flower, we'll blow this whole set up. Joe, this time I am not going to let you talk me into something that... Okay, that's good. I, uh, <laughs> what I like about this moment, too, is that it, it kind of mimics a real-life moment they have, uh, or at least a rumor that her, Billy Wilder sends them into a women's restroom dressed in, in costume to see if they could pass. Yeah. That's incredible that's and terrifying, I would imagine. Yeah. I also heard that this movie was supposed to be shot in color, but because the makeup looked Garish. a little... Yes, yeah. so they decided to do right. black that's and white. Right, that's true. That's so cool. That's true. That is uh, incredible. Let's talk a little bit about Billy Wilder, who has this incredible career, incredible run of films. Um, The Apartment is one of my favorite movies of all time. And he kind of, uh, in his, the focus and themes of his films is always pushing way past what was maybe acceptable at the time. And and then totally pushed it. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, But I also feel like maybe he was kind of a little bit mean to Marilyn. Marilyn, as you were saying earlier, had a reputation for not showing up on time, and she didn't always trust Billy's uh, direction notes. She would refer to her acting coach. Um, But in 1959, um, he said about filming the movie with Marilyn, I have discussed uh, this with my doctor and my psychiatrist, and they tell me I'm too old and too rich to go through this again. My Aunt Minnie would always be punctual and never show, and never hold up production, but who would pay to see my Aunt Minnie? (laughs) So, I mean, maybe not totolly cruel, but... I don't know. Was treating your actors well, was really kind of yeah, that disposable? I, he had directed her once before in the Seven Year Ridge a couple of years before. This is you know the famous iconic moment when her dress mm-hmm. she's standing over a subway grate, grate and, and her dress fluffs up and you know Tom Mule. Uh, <laughs> it's it's uh, uh, I guess it's easy to say that he was not terribly wonderful. In, in some of the things that he said about her. On the other hand, you know, when you when you have 47 takes of her saying, it's me, sugar, uh, and she's not getting the line straight, it's sugar, me, it's, but, you know, I mean, literally, uh, that can drive anybody up the wall. Sure. And it drove everybody on the, on the, the set crazy, including Tony Curtis, who had rumored to have had an affair with her some years before. Um... You know, in, 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 he was quoted as saying, kissing Marilyn Monroe in this movie was like kissing Hitler. Oh, <laughs> you know? man. Um, but I think at the end of the day, this is maybe her best movie and her best Marilyn persona altogether. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Billy Wilder was a notorious cynic and notoriously caustic about just about everything. Uh, you know, when... when uh, when Ernst Lubitsch is his mentor, for, you know, for whom he, he co-wrote Nanotchka, which was Billy Wilder's big breakthrough in, in Hollywood with Garbo. When Lubitsch died, uh, he, he was quoted as saying, you know, says it's, uh, I think he was talking with William Wyler and he said it's, it's, it's terrible, um, you know, no more, no more Ernst Lubitsch. And Wilder said, even worse, no more Ernst Lubitsch movies, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, Wilder was a very complicated guy uh, who, you know, started out, he, he, he was born in Poland, he, he worked in, 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 in Austria, he escaped Hitler by going to France. Uh, his, his mother and uh, uh, several of his close relatives uh, were, were murdered by the Nazis. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, in Hollywood, he was supervising, uh, after, right after the war in 45, there was a, uh, a documentary that he supervised 
of of the liberation of the concentration camps. Wow. Yeah, which was you know had to which was done for the Germans to show them what the Nazis had done. Um, he did the Lost Weekend, which was a classic movie about an alcoholic that got Ray Milland uh, an Oscar for Best Picture. He had done a lot of different kinds of movies. Uh, Double Indemnity is my favorite film noir uh, with Fred McMurray. He he did all kinds of movies in all different styles and Sunset Boulevard. He made classics mm. in many different genres uh, before uh, doing Some Like It Hot. Um, Ace in the Hole uh, was a film with Kirk Douglas, which was one of the most black and cynical films about uh, uh, the press and the exploitation of people for ratings, uh, the equivalent of ratings in those days. Uh, so he, you know, he, did, he didn't suffer fools gladly. Did any of his um, boundary pushing get him in trouble with Hollywood? I mean, he's bringing back old stars for Sunset Boulevard that most thought would never work again. He's, um, you know, talking openly about abortion and contraceptive in a couple of his movies. Yeah. Does this ever earn him any pushback? Or, or I know McCarthy era comes right after this. He had a complicated relationship with the HUAC-McCarthy era. He, um, he and John Huston were virtually the only directors who, who stood up uh, against the idea that you had to have a loyalty oath at that time in the DGA. On the other hand... Um, he was he was rather cruel to the to the Hollywood Ten, and uh, you know they were the mm. quote unfriendly witnesses, and there was a famous quote of Billy Wilder saying, you know, uh, only only two of the Hollywood Ten are talented, the rest are just unfriendly. Damn. Um, you Yikes. know, uh, he was a complicated guy. Did he have a lot of friends? He had a lot of friends. He was extremely popular in wow. the business because he was so funny. He was such a wit. Uh, <laughs> His screenwriting partner for many years was Charles Brackett, mm-hmm. uh, who did, you know, with him uh, 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 Lost Weekend and, and, and many other films. Uh, you know, he was already on his way to doing mostly comedies by the time he did Some Like It Hot. Um, but he had a falling out or something with Brackett. And then um, then I.L. Diamond, who, who co-wrote Some Like It Hot, came along. And... Uh, uh, their first film together was Love in the Afternoon with Gary Cooper and, uh, and Audrey Hepburn. Uh, and uh, can I talk a little bit about... Uh, Please. I.L. Diamond, um, I had always heard about him growing up because my dad went to college in the same class with him at Columbia University. And, uh, uh, and since I was a big movie nut kid, it was mm-hmm. like, wow, you knew... And he said, yeah, I knew Izzy, you know. <laughs> yeah. uh, his real name was something Romanian, but um, he came to, to America when he was a kid. Uh, he was a math genius. Uh, the IAL uh, is actually stands for Interscholastic Algebra League. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's uh, right. That's yeah. funny. And he was the editor of the uh, Columbia Spectator, which was the... Um, uh, the, the, the college newspaper, and also wrote all the varsity shows. Oh. And I have copies of all of those shows that he wrote when you know on, back in the day. And those are the shows that got him uh, noticed by the Samuel Goldwyn talent scouts, uh, brought him to Hollywood. Um, and my dad used to d- did some of his uh, notes in the math class because he was so busy writing... <laughs> 
the varsity shows that that uh, so I feel like in some very small way my family is is partly responsible for some like it hunt. Oh Absolutely, that's amazing. Um, and I met Diamond years later when he was you know when I was out here and uh, he had the personality of 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 a of a an accountant or something. I mean, he was very low key, very not wise cracky. He he just. Whereas Wilder was the exact opposite, which is probably why they worked so well together. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so, you know, that that was kind of the... Uh, Diamond had done some journeyman work for various studios. He did some writing for Danny Kaye, and he has a credit on a Bob Hope film. Uh, but I, I, as I understand it, he wrote one of the comedy sketches for the Writers Guild show one year, and, and, and Wilder saw it and said, it's very funny, who is this guy? <laughs> and he was looking for a new collaborator, and that's how they got together on Love in the Afternoon. Wow. Let's take a look at the um, elevator for uh, Billy Wilder that we pulled, because I feel like this is some really great writing and directing here, exploring, uh, you know, maybe what it's like to step into a female's role for the first time. So. <laughs> I'm Osgood Fielding, the third. Cinderella, the second. <laughs> if there's one thing I admire, it's a girl with a shapely ankle. <laughs> Me too. Bye-bye. <laughs> Let me carry one of the instruments. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Aren't you a sweetheart? <laughs> It's delightful having young blood around here. Oh, well, personally, I'm type O. You know, I've always been fascinated by show business. Is that so? Yes. As a matter of fact, it's cost my family quite a bit of money. Oh, you invest in shows? Showgirls. I've been married seven or eight times. You're not sure? Mama's keeping score. Frankly, she's getting rather annoyed with me. Wouldn't wonder. So this year, when the George White scandal's opened, she packed me off to Florida. Right now, she thinks I'm out there on my yacht. Deep sea fishing. Hmm. Sir. Well, pull in your reel, Mr. Fielding. You're barking up the wrong fish. (laughs) If I promise not to be a naughty boy, how about dinner tonight? I'm sorry. I'll be on the bandstand. Oh, of course. Which of these instruments do you play? Bull fiddle. Fascinating. Do you use a bow or do you just pluck it? Most of the time, I slap it. That is it. That is just perfection <laughs> to me. I love the comedic uh, sense of timing between the two. I love exploring, um, you know, it's probably his first time being hit on by a guy. Right. Like, how do you manage this and, and keep your sanity? You're just trying to get upstairs. Um, he handles it well. He does. He does. It takes no uh, no business. Uh, I overall really enjoy this film. It has one of the greatest final endings of uh, maybe all time. Yeah. Debatable. Do you put this film you in the, the final line? Final line. Yes, yes. yes. Um, do you put this film in the in the top 100 comedies? Well, I know Billy Wilder said that is subjective and, and he didn't want to buy into it being like the best. He said maybe it's one of the best. But where do you rank it? Yeah, I, I don't know. Whenever you say something's the best, it, it kind of is weird. But uh, I mean, it's certainly one of the best. I think there's no question as a comedy, as a Hollywood comedy, it's it's one of the very best. Um, you mentioned uh, the last line, yes, which sir. is you know, nobody's perfect. Uh, I don't know. Do we need to set up the? 
Oh, we can. Uh, I mean, well, it's Joey Brown is so tenacious about <laughs> hooking up and marrying Jack Lemmon, yeah. and they're making their escape in the end, and and he just won't take no for an answer. Uh, and everything that, that, that Jack Lemmon says to try to turn him off to the idea, he says, you know, I, I can't have kids, we'll adopt. You know, yeah. uh, I'm not a real blonde. Doesn't matter. One thing after another. And finally, he takes off his wig. He says, I'm a man. And Joey Brown says, well, nobody's perfect. <laughs> now, the yeah. interesting... The interesting thing about that line, which is maybe the most famous closer in, in, in movie comedy history, is that here you have Billy Wilder and I.L. Diamond, two of the greatest comedy minds in Hollywood history, and they, they couldn't figure out a way to close out the movie. So I don't know whose line it was. I think it might have been Diamond's, but he said, well, let, let's just say, have him say nobody's perfect. You know, we'll film it, and then we'll come up with something better. And they previewed it in, uh, I think it was San Francisco. <laughs> and, you know, the rest is history. So the point is, you never know. I mean, here you have these comic geniuses who couldn't themselves recognize that this was a great line. Mm-hmm. You know, you think whenever these things happen in movies, you know, it, it's, it's absolutely, they know exactly what they're doing, you know, yeah. who would know better, and, and no. It, it, it's an amazing last line. It, it kind of sums up everything we've learned about human beings throughout the film. Um, but I, I totally understand as a creative, you know, something sounds too simple, you tend to question it. How good can this be? Right. Um, but it was the perfect ending. I think it's even on in Billy Wilder's uh, tombstone. Really? Oh, really? I yeah. Wow. I'll check perfect. that out. But I. Um, wow. Yeah. I, the the notion that um, that everybody knows what they're it was the same thing with Casablanca. By the way, they didn't know up until pretty much the day they filmed that ending that that's how they were going to end the movie. No. Here's I looking know, at you, kid. This is the start of a beautiful friendship. Louis. Oh, that one. Okay. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Again, simple line, but encompasses totally. all everything that we've just learned yeah. about human beings. Amazing. My colleague Anthony Lane, who's a, a film critic at the New Yorker, called his collection uh, "Nobody's Perfect." Aww. <laughs> that's really sweet. Unlike my book, I was going to say yes, which is Rainer on film, which that's is amazing. Much more prosaic title, but there you go. It's so good. Um, if you guys haven't seen the earlier episode where um, Richard reads um, about Marlon Brando. Uh, that essay is transformative. It's beautiful. You definitely, definitely want to check out his book, Rainer on Film. We want to thank Peter Rainer for joining us here again. It was so wonderful to have you. And There's so much more we could say. I know. Yeah. Keep talking. If you haven't watched the movie, you, you just should, it's just a belly full of laughs. Like It is timeless and, and so great, and you'll see great performances and one of the best directors of all time at work. Thank you so much for breaking down the history and, and giving us an insight. Um, guys, thank you so much for joining us once again. Uh, we'll be back here next week, 4 o'clock sharp for next class. We'll see you guys then. <laughs> From producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network.
The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.